0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters coming at you somewhat live. I say somewhat live because this is a podcast, but I like to treat it like a radio show where I spew my opinions. From Indianapolis and joining me from Charlotte is my co-host, Josh Roller. And we have a really big show for you in store today uh, because there was quite the glut of auto racing over the weekend. And if you watched all the races like me, Uh, or cut some of the highlights like josh or haven't seen any and need a good recap you're listening to the right show so before we get started today we want to thank all of our returning listeners thank you guys so much for showing up and showing out for uh us we appreciate you we see our listener base growing we can see those anchor analytics going up and that's what i always like to say so we thank you guys for helping support this podcast. I uh, we promise uh, we're not at the point yet where we can uh, make any money off of this by shoving ads down your throat, but when we do, we'll give you a forewarning. Uh, believe me. Uh, so, But hey, hey, if you like that, if you like that banter, uh, you'll like it even more by following us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at RPeters33, Josh is at Roller underscore 01, and our show is at Robin Roller. And uh, so I think I'm looking at this right now, and I'm pretty sure it's time to jump right on into the news. So let's get into... Rob's Racing Report, which is my segment, well, I'll recap the news here. Let's get it started right here. What's going on with uh, Formula One? We got some big Formula One news, big-time stuff dropped. Uh, literally in the morning, right before... Uh, I, I uh, Right before... I almost said San Marino. I'm sorry. Emilio Romagna Grand Prix. Uh, the Miami Grand Prix has become yeah. a reality. Yeah, finally, Josh says. Yes, finally. It has become a reality and will be on the 2022 Formula One calendar with a... T- <laughs> An ambitious—that's my editorialization—an ambitious 10-year deal. The temporary circuit will be on the grounds of Hard Rock Stadium, home of the National Football League's Miami Dolphins. Uh, It will be a 19-corner, 5.1—excuse me, 5.41-kilometer-length circuit with three potential DRS zones. It is believed that the Miami GP will take place earlier in the season. However, the future of the United States Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas remains in question now that that's a big thing to keep in mind here because uh mm-hmm. who knows what's going to happen with the uh, circuit of the americas i i like the formula one race circuit of the americas personally i, I think it's too. A track. i'd hate to lose it uh but you know with this miami grand prix i mean that we that is that 24 races in well formula one i i think so that's probably the plan to, to put
1: twenty-four races in there, unless this replaces like Vietnam, you know, unless this because I don't think the Vietnam race is gonna happen. I, I just don't think no, that's
0: that, that, that race at this point is about as dead in the water as most IndyCar uh planned street races. Yeah. They really do not have a very good track record on street races. IndyCar doesn't. And that's why I am concerned about this, because street racing in the United States is very fickle, I think. You know, well, you, that's because we've, of- we've done this before. And I think a lot of the, con- the the problems that people have wanted is we've wanted a, f- a, a proper race circuit in the United States, not just a bunch of street circuits. You know what I mean? Right. And that's why I'm nervous because it's like we have this really good track in Circuit of the Americas. We have a pristine grade one world-class racetrack in Austin, Texas. Now, we do also have one in Indianapolis. I'm not faulting that. Believe me, I want Formula One to come back to Indianapolis as much as I want. That's not that what's the it, what the issue is here. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about strictly Circuit of the Americas was built to host Formula One. It was built to host world class auto racing, and quite frankly, it would be very disappointing if you know it was it it went from hosting Formula One, WEC, MotoGP, and uh, uh, IMSA to having to now just resort to NASCAR and IndyCar to get by. You know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But it would be really disappointing to see that happen to a track that should be hosting much more world-class motorsports. I'm not saying NASCAR and IndyCar can't be there. I, I'm all, all for more racing series at Circuit of the Americas. But I also would like to see it retain that kind of world-class American draw. You know, It's like when, when you look at Circuit of the Americas, you should feel as an American a sense of nationalism that this is our track. You know, as if you were of, uh, you know, as with any Formula One stop, you know, I think if you are a, a resident of whatever country Formula One goes to, you should feel a sense of nationalism around that race. You Correct. know what I mean? And I feel like we should feel a sense of nationalism around Circuit of the Americas and our track, especially our it, track. Especially when it carries the United States Grand Prix title. Right. You know. Like if this is going to be just the Miami Grand Prix, then, I mean, that's great and fine. But, you know, this is... We can't lose the United States Grand Prix and have that not be at a permanent facility. It's it's all good and fine if you want to name, you know, a, a street circuit, you know, the blank city Grand Prix, but I would really like to see the United States Grand Prix moniker stay with a permanent circuit. And right now, the only two permanent circuits that can host Formula One are Circuit of the Americas and in Indianapolis. So it's going to be one of those two, basically, that's going to host it. So, and I don't want it to be... Like a situation where they have to go to all three. If they do go to all three, that's great. But I don't think they'll go to all three. I think that I that's gonna be a that's gonna
1: be a, a pipe dream. I don't see them going to all three at, at, at best. And I think this is even a far fetched one where they do like a a three track rotation where they go to tracks A and B year one, B and C year two, C and A year three, so on and so forth. I, I don't, but I don't think that'll happen as much as I think that'd be cool and fair and mix the schedule up, I don't think that's going to happen. I know I, I, and and not to backtrack, but I think the big draw at the street circuits is you can bring the race directly to the fans. You can't build this facility in 2021, as we will talk about later in the show, you can't build a racetrack right next to a city anymore. It's got to be there you, or you have to build it temporarily. And that's what, Indy cars going to St. Pete this weekend. That's what the Miami GP is for. That's what Long Beach is for. It's what Nashville Street Course is for. You bring the race to the fans. You tear it down, and and you move forward in, with your lives a week later. You know that's what's what that's 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 the problem. That's just politics. That's just people it, it being. Is. That's just people being ignorant.
0: Uh, over Sorry. under on how long until this re- Miami Grand Prix inevitably becomes an IndyCar Car race. Mm. John Oriovitz estimates three and a half years. It depends
1: on how committed. First, it depends on Liberty Media. Do they stay? Do they keep ownership of Formula One? Um, And second, how committed are they to destiny? If it doesn't retain the success, it doesn't retain the excitement, um, or it brings bad then it could uh, it could become an indie car an indie car race but i i don't think they put this much effort into fear that i don't think they want to repeat so my deal is is, is the the um Brenda Martin who i believe is believes her name i hope i got that right um is the activist around the local neighborhood basically against the race saying hey it's not fair to us she called the uh the 5 million dollars that they'll be giving to the the na- Formula One will be given to the neighborhood uh, or the area annually, I believe. You know, like a drop in a bucket compared to you know the multi uh, the multi billion dollar company it is. Well, first off, what's our problem with the NFL? All right, in the Super Bowl that happens on that same site, that's a pretty loud atmosphere. You know, that, I think the, the the Formula One race will attract more people because it's a larger facility and as, as a whole, but it's going to bring Udo's money into the city. And if you don't see it coming back to you, you need to elect new officials. All right? That's the way it works. The the money will come in. You will come in via taxes of the hotel, money spent from people coming into the city, uh, into the country. And, you know, your hope is, is that they'll dump it that money, or at least part of it, into the neighborhood for better roads, better schools, whatever. Insert more parks, you know. And this is all for three, four days of pain, you know, with noise. And first off, they complained about the air emissions of these cars. Like these cars are cleaner than half the cars running in Miami right now. All right, as far as emissions are concerned. So I don't get that complaint at all. You're talking twenty more cars is it gonna be that big of a difference to your air quality? Bullcrap. Sorry, I'm going on a huge rain here. This this struck a huge nerf with me. It will it will come up later in the show. It's come up with Nashville Fairgrounds.
0: Uh, oh, I'm done. I'm sorry. I, I look. All I was trying to do was play devil's advocate about this Miami race. I don't have a problem with it going on. Um, you know, obviously I have my doubts. I have my concerns. You know, and we've been there, done that before. The U.S. has had street races on for Formula One before. They have not worked out. I am just merely going off history here, and but maybe being a little bit of a Debbie Downer. But I'm also being kind of realistic based on what I've seen. Yeah, one
1: more one more point here. To and then we can move on because we're hitting eleven thirty here already. But because it a cow. Um, but the um, but look at I, I I encourage everyone to look at the former street circuits that they that Formula One went to in this country, and then compare it to the Miami GP. The Miami GP is a much better circuit than Phoenix, than Detroit, than Dallas, than Caesar's Palace. Um, I mean,
0: Long Beach was the only one that was any good. I was just about to ask, does it compare to Long Beach?
1: Um we'll have to see. I have to see it first, but I think I'm I like the the layout and design of, of the of this GP, the Miami GP. Long Beach is just well established and and they've tweaked it over the years, and that comes with experience. Okay, okay. Now we let's let's fix this area because of this car. You know? Um next year you're also gonna have a brand new car in F1. So you, that's kind of an important point to remember too. How's that car going to race on on street circuits as well?
0: I'm open mind, I'm open minded to it. We have a lot of F1 to talk about. So if you liked F1, stay tuned. We got a lot more opinions on that. Moving on to the next and final piece of F1 news here. By the way, we talked about this last week in his upshift downshift question, but now we have official news. For now, the Canadian Grand Prix uh, is on, but the Formula One has declined to comment uh, on the cancellation of the race, which is looking to be inevitable. Uh, what seems to be the primary hang-up is 14 day 14-day 14 quarantine required currently. Radio Canada reported the race had been canceled, but right now that doesn't seem to be official case. Like Formula One's being kind of mole on it. I haven't seen any kind of formal announcement from Formula One regarding this, just various news accounts from this. Um, again, it's still expected, widely expected that in the event of the cancellation of the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, they will be re- replaced with uh, Istanbul Park, uh, yes. which... Hey, I'm not complaining. Last year's Turkey race was great. Hopefully the surface isn't as terrible. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, hey, Formula 1 can still put on good races and we're seeing it. We'll talk about it a lot more. So, Formula E news now. The 2021 Monaco E-Prix will take place on the longer uh on the excuse me, what is this? I'm trying to read this. The 2021 Monaco E-Prix will take place uh on the longer Monaco circuit. Um, but it will be a modified version of the same circuit formula the one uses. So the tight corner at Saint Devote, turn one, will now be a sweeping corner for the Monaco Grand Prix and the, and not the bus stop that it typically is. So this is like turn one. So, you know, when you're going up the hill, you basically, you know, have to, you break hard, uh, and you have to hit the, um, the curbing just right, otherwise you'll be over track limits. Unless you're trying to be Mahavir Ragunathan and just go yeet right on through it. Who cares? That's what Formula E cars are going to be doing, though. They're just going to be all Mahavir Ragunathan, just go yeet right through that thing. I know that I'm being all on my Gen Z, millennial self, saying yeet twice in in this thing. But yeah, it's literally what you you're, you're going to do now. So it's going to be a long, sweep pick corner. You're still going to have to you know break and 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 slow down speed, but it's going to be uh, hopefully a lot more fun. Um, So good to see that. I'm excited to see Formula E on Monaco, the full Monaco circuit. I think that'll be really, really fun to see those cars run around there. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, what Formula E puts on, especially at a place like Monaco. Uh, Motorsport.com reports that Formula E is working to create its own version of Formula One's Concord Agreement. The objective is to better define rights deals between teams and broadcasters and to boost uh, audiences. This will con- coincide with the Gen 3 cost cap and technical rules. All this is to help the financial stability and commercial appeal of the series. Which, if you want my opinion, I think it's doing a good job of that on its own. But everything could be improved upon. Uh, moving on to some SRX news. This is the greatest news of all time. I texted Josh this like way before it happened, and I mean, you just sent, you were, you were, you seemed about as jacked as I am. Um, and uh, holy cow, this is great. The broadcast lineup for the inaugural season on CBS. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just read these out in a dramatic fashion as I can. Um, Hosting the show is going to be Lindsay Zarniak, longtime host of NASCAR on ESPN and even before then NASCAR on TNT. And then, who do you have at Play by Play? The one, the only, Alan Bestwick. And then following at the Roaming Analyst position, he is a former basketball star, NBA All-Star, and NBA. I think, I don't know if he's an NBA champion. I'll have to check on that, but I think he is. I'm not sure. Brad Doherty, also owner of the JTG Doherty's. I forgot. He, I, I was listing out his basketball accomplishments. What have you. Uh, he is going to be the Roaming Analyst. And then at Pitt Reporter, doing what he does best, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Matt Yoakum. Now serving as driver analyst. Everybody, please give a big welcome to the one, the only Danica Patrick, and the man who fought her in 2012 for the homepage of GoDaddy.com, Mr. James Hinchcliffe. Followed by the man who literally beat down both of them every single day in 2011 IndyCar, Dario Franchitti. All right, I'm done. Um, but that they that that broadcast lineup deserved that kind of intro. I tell you that it was a it solid deserves broadcast. that kind of intro. It's a perfect broadcast lineup. Perfect broadcast lineup. I don't know clearly enough about Brad Doherty's NBA career as I should. I am so sorry, Brad. I know you far more as a NASCAR analyst and NASCAR team owner than I do as your NBA career, and I apologize. Um, you are still a great choice for that roaming analyst, and I can't wait to hear that soothing voice of yours again. Um, now, then, moving on. IndyCar news. We got some IndyCar news here. Per Adam Stern, we got a Stern bomb, uh, Stern bomb here. Per Adam Stern, IndyCar began to open up its paddock to sponsors and VIP guests this past weekend at Barber, with each team being allotted a certain number of guests. That was an interesting Stern bomb. Um, Pato Award will get a test in a McLaren Formula 1 car after he he gets his first IndyCar victory. The offer came from McLaren CEO Zach Brown following Pato's pole position this past weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. The potential test would take place at Abu Dhabi following the conclusion of the 2021 Formula 1 season kind of cool opportunity there for pato because he has driven a formula 2 car before and before anyone says oh but he wasn't that good he was actually a heck of a lot better than most people would have been who were just plopped into a formula 2 car and expected to compete against some of the best junior drivers in the world end statement um nascar news because here's the nascar news is our final segment because nascar i don't know maybe it's a no it's not even alphabetical i don't know just works out that way mbm motorsports will return to the cup series this weekend at talladega super speedway but the team has noted the remainder of the 2021 season will be a partial schedule harrison burton will be making his nascar cup series debut at talladega harrison the son of jeff burton will pilot the number 96 gaunt brothers racing machine after another driver was supposed to make her debut more on that later Blackjack Brian Brown, a track champion of Knoxville Raceway, will be the driver of the Kyle Busch Motorsports number no. fifty-one Toyota at Knoxville on July 9th. Now, tell me, give me one reason why you can't be a Kyle Busch fan when he's doing cool stuff like that? I seriously, seriously, I, I'm just asking. I'm trying. I, I try not to be as much of a fan now. I try to be more of a journalist to be a little bit more unbiased, even though I am being very opinionated on this podcast. But that's what I do. Seriously, dude, how can you not like Kyle Busch when he does stuff like this? It's like cool. seriously. I mean this guy he, it's like he knows what fans want, he gives them that, and the fans still give him the finger and boom him every time during driver injury It's like what what is going on i don't know I, it, I, it doesn't make sense. he'll just always be the villain i guess um mm-hmm. Daniel Suarez will drive a paint scheme in tribute to Red Farmer and the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series at the virtual Talladega Super Speedway, which will include a renumbering of his car to 97. If you listen to this podcast in time, the race will be on Wednesday, uh, April 21st at 7 p.m. on FS1. And uh, that concludes the news. So, Josh, I think with the end of the news and the fact that we took just so darn long to talk about it, let's jump right into our featured paint scheme and take a look at... Eh, I don't know. I, I This season was an interesting season in NASCAR. Um, the car of tomorrow was well in its way. It's a 2009 NASCAR Cup Series, NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. It was a good season. I don't look upon it as very memorable because I'm not so sure about many of the races. I don't think they were that great. He had good super speedway races. I'll give him that. Um, most outside of that, though, I don't remember it being as great as 2010 um, or 2007 for that matter. but. Uh, I digress, but one thing that it did have, I'll say that what what it lacked in racing, and made up for it in outstandingly amazing paint schemes. So I I had one in my mind, Josh. I'm sure you had ones in your mind, but there were so many amazing paint schemes this season, so many memorable ones, unforgettable ones. I mean, it, I mean, if you were me and were kind of dissatisfied with the racing quality at the time, you had to look other in, in other places. And I looked at the paint schemes, and the paint schemes were quite simply the best part of the whole season they had the best schemes, the best one-offs, the best like everything. I mean, everything about 2009. Did you know Kevin Conway drove a one-off car uh for TRG, which was uh, Bobby uh Bobby Labani's team in the later part of 2009 after he was after Hall of Fame Racing shut down, which by the way, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Hall of Fame Racing, the number 96ask.com Ford. do you remember ask.com 2009 was a different time guys Josh mm-hmm. tell us all about your pick for featured paint scheme
1: very different man I was like oh I just about chose that ask.com one because I'm like this is a cool looking car and It was from a team that no longer exists but I had to go with one that was my top choice honestly from the get-go that's AJ Allmendinger's 2009 Daytona 500 Valvoline Dodge for Richard Petty Motorsports and it was a throwback looking car uh, a simple car. The sides were uh, were white, while the top uh, of the car, including, like, the hood and the front, you know, the middle of the car, is maybe how I should better word it, um, was Petty Blue. The 44 on the side uh, uh, was Petty Blue with black outlining, and then while the roof was, was white with black outlining. Um, I remember being really excited and cheering on this car, because this was kind of AJ, uh, you know, he got his first second shot because he hadn't done very well with Red Bull. All right. And I don't, this, if I remember right, this wasn't supposed to be a full season effort. Um, originally. And he had to race his way in. Uh, he, and, uh, this is back in the day. Talk about a different time. The
0: duels were run during the day. The duels were run during the day. Now, this was so long ago that he actually had to compete for this ride for a, 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 a full time ride while reed sorensen had a full-time ride in the 43 that's how long ago this was believe that reed sorensen had a full-time ride with sponsorship from richard petty motorsports and aj elmendinger was fighting for one can you believe that that is this
1: is true this is true very true um and just for in case everyone everyone forgets or anyone who i should say freaking forgets the Richard Petty Motorsports camp was four cars at the time because of the merger with Evernham Motorsports. You had the nine of Casey Kane, you had the nineteen of Elliott Sadler, you had the forty-three of Reed Sorensen, and then eventually the forty-four of AJ Allmendinger.
0: I'm sorry, but the weirdest part about that was actually when that happened. Casey Kane was sponsored by Budweiser, and this was a strange yes. thing because I remember this as a Casey Kane fan, and Richard Petty had vowed to his mother. Long time ago, that he would never allow an al- alcohol sponsorship on his car, and he yeah. keeps that promise to this day.
1: And that wasn't uh, his well,
0: car, no, not anymore. Twisted T sponsored the sponsored cars for uh, so he doesn't really keep that to this day, but uh, he kept that, I guess, up until then. And Casey Kane was sponsored by Budweiser as a Richard Petty Motorsports car, yeah, uh, which was crazy because actually, fun fact, uh, there was a, there was a thing, uh, the 43 was never eligible for the Bud shootout because it did not rate the Bud Pole Award sticker because Richard Petty wouldn't put an alcohol sponsorship on his car. I forgot about that. I yeah. I forgot about mm-hmm. that. So well, it was really weird when Casey Kane yeah. came in and was a Richard Petty driver, basically, and he was sponsored by Budweiser. It was a really weird thing a lot of people were like, "Is this going to be allowed? Is he going to allow this?" He ended up allowing it. Obviously, money's money, especially when his team and Evernham's team were collapsing. You know, money's money, man. You got to take it. So, anyway, yeah, you can go ahead and continue now.
1: Oh, you're good. I, I yeah. So all I was saying was, you know, like you mentioned, Ask. dot com. You know, different time. It was a different time. You're watching these duels. I was at uh, this was uh, um, my eighth grade year, and I remember sitting in class. Of course, I I didn't have uh, the data package I have now. So I, I had to wait until I got home to find out how the duels went. How, and, and, you know, now if I was in high school or any level of school, I just got home. and like, okay, I'm going to watch the duels at six o'clock, you know? Um, but he raced his way in. Um, he was in duel number two and finished 10th, which was good enough to, uh, to start in the Daytona 500 where he would go on to finish third. It was his first career top five. It was only in the top five of that season, but it was his first career top five big day, big scheme. I mean, I wish I had the diecast for this. I don't, um, but it was again, it was a throwback looking car. He would later run a, a more modern valvoline looking car once or twice uh, later in the season. But uh, I'm glad that this kind of kicked off the year, and he was able to run the full season. And I like
0: yours, by the way. I do like your scheme a lot, and I have the diecast of my scheme, so I'm I'm pretty happy about that. I'm pretty pretty happy about that, but uh, yeah. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about mine here, which is really really interesting. Again, 2009 was. I I was just thinking about this. I apologize. This is I'm gonna get to mine real quick. But another really weird thing was this 2009 or 2010. I think it might have been 2010. So I'm gonna stop myself. I'm gonna talk about my pick here because I'm gonna stop myself because I'm pretty sure that car I was talking about was 2010. Okay. Um. David Gilliland's number 02 Farm Bureau Insurance Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. How about this one? Do you remember that one? Does anybody remember that one? One of my favorite one-off paint schemes that, like I said, I have a die cast of, was the strange fourth car for Joe Gibbs Racing that ran three races in 2009. Now, originally, from what I remember at this time, I can't really find any uh, facts to back this up, but I do remember it being a rumor. It was a long-standing rumor at the time until it was inevitably announced that David Gilliland was going to be the driver. But for a while, I believe Brad Coleman was supposed to be the driver because he was a JGR development driver. I think he was in the, yeah. uh, the, the East Series or West Series with them, and uh, he had a couple of nationwide starts at the time. But he was supposed to get some cup starts. But I guess he didn't perform as well as they had hoped, so they called up David Gilliland, who was you know looking for a ride, and said, hey – can you fill the seat? And he's like, Yeah, sure. I got. No, I'm not doing anything, you know. Uh, Robert Yates uh, is shut down, so I'm not. I'm not doing anything. Um, and this was before he got the call to go to Front Row Motorsports. So again, you know, Gelich took it, uh, and he did pretty well. He, I mean, it did pretty good, decently for an R and D car, I would say. Um, but yeah, this this was an interesting car. So the front, the font of the number was the same as the JGR twenty but it was reversed as zero two, 2 So the numbers are reversed, but it's the same font, which is which was really wild and interesting at that time. Um, and so this, the scheme itself was similar to one that uh, JGR had run in the Nationwide Series. So they had run one, I think, with Kyle Bush and Denny Hamlin, maybe, running, uh, I think, a scheme similar to this. Yeah. But uh, it was a white base with maroon stripes up the side, highlighted by gray shadows underneath the stripes, which really gave it a good pop and a good look. Uh, and like I said you know it's an R&D car so you're not expecting him to win races you're not expecting him to even finish anywhere near the front but the first race 25th at Charlotte 28th at Texas and then 29th at Homestead he finished above 30th i got to give him that you got to give creds for that when you're in an R&D car if you could finish outside i mean above the top 30 i think you're doing something right um and so this car was never meant to be a, a front runner but when it ran under the lights it was one beautiful Beautiful ride. So, Josh, uh, that is going to do that for our featured paint schemes. Now, at the thirty-minute mark, we're going halfway here. Uh, let's get into some of the top takeaways from the weekend. Uh, we're going to mix it up here a little bit. We're going to do a little bit something different than what we're used to. We're going to start and talk about uh, our top ra- takeaways from the races from this weekend. The big races, not the little, small races that I watch, but the big races that both Josh and I do watch. Um, and so, first off, is it's just Formula One at Imola? Man, I mean, let me tell you something. This race was. It had it all. I mean, I was critical uh, last week, or excuse me, not last week, last year about the race at Imola. I wasn't quite sure it was as good of a race as it could have been. This one kind of turned my opinion around. Now, I will admit it was helped by the rain. Yeah. Um, it was helped by a safety car. But at the end of the day, there was a lot more passing than I thought. And that's what I said. I was happy when they announced that they were going to extend the DRS zone. Um, on the front stretch, I'm really happy they did that because it did generate more passing. Now, I was kind of upset because Martin Brundle said something during the broadcast. He was like, he thought it was too long or something. The the, the closing rate was too much. Or you got too much of a thing off DRS. I, I just think that's, that that's a really negative way to look at it because you're trying to promote to passing. Do,
1: I think some of that had to do with where we were at. I think that's part of the opinion. You know, and where the DRS led into what happened there in 1994. I think part of that opinion could be influenced by that.
0: And I understand that take behind yeah. it. Yeah. But at the same time, you're trying to put on a good race that these cars are safe, safer now than they were in 1994. Um, and we still saw our fair share of big accidents. We did see a big accident there. Yeah, Botas and Russell came together. Yeah. It was not, not, we're, yeah, yeah, right there. Um. So it was not like it wasn't, and then obviously you have a point here. You know that yes, they did it. You Halo obviously saved both us's life here. Um, you know, and that's that's a fact. And we can debate who's at fault. I mean, George Russell later said he apologized, and I think he did take kind of responsibility for the accident. It looked like he just got in the grass just a little, bit, which is crazy to me how he just touches the grass the tiniest teensy amount and then it's so slick out there that boom revs peak and goes spinning into botas it was crazy and but that's that's another thing that i was interested about the most in that formula one race and josh i'll let you get to your opinion here first but i wanted to say something and i made a note of it mentally when i was watching the race you know People always like say, you know, these Formula One cars, they have so much downforce, right? They have so much downforce, they have too much downforce. Some people say they have too much downforce. You know, the dry cars almost drive themselves. And it seemed like to me that we, we were shown on Sunday that no matter how much downforce you put into these cars, if they don't have grip, it's still going to be down to driver talent at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. And I think we saw instances of drivers... You know, they, they were waiting to, like, the very last moment to put on slicks. Mm-hmm. They are waiting to the last moment on slicks. And then when they finally do put on slicks, it's still almost a little bit too damp to really go on slicks. And now you got drivers struggling for grip. It just seemed like the whole race, everybody was struggling for grip. Did not know who you were. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, he made a mistake because Correct. he got out into a wet patch on slicks. Again, struggling for grip. It just seemed, it, again, it doesn't matter how much... Downforce you put in these cars, if they don't have grip, they can't. You're gonna have to drive it. You're gonna have to manhandle it. You're gonna have to be the best driver. And I think we saw with Verstappen winning the race, with Norris being second, with Hamilton having to come back through the field. You know, the cream really rose to the top. And you know, I'm not saying that you know Bottas wasn't a good driver or Russell wasn't or whatever. You know, just because they act they had accidents, but you look at all of the drivers who did finish the race and you'll see, you know, some big names at the very end, not scoring points. Sergio Mm -hmm. Perez had a lot of problems. Sebastian Vettel had a day that just, he probably wanted to get over with the day it started. I mean, I feel bad for Seb. I feel like if he could have paused time and gone and taken a nap instead, he would have, you know, he would have rather have done anything than race that race, but there were some big names at the back uh, of that, of the finishing order. And so it really just shows, you know, people could criticize Formula One all they want and say cars drive themselves or whatever. You know, Martin Brundle probably says this a lot too. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, we saw that grip matters more than downforce. And when you don't have it, cream rises to the top. And that's what we saw. I don't think anybody else, I don't think anybody else in that Merc could have done what Lewis Hamilton did to rebound from that mistake. I really don't. I really truthfully don't because of just how hard it was to, number one, get grip and get enough grip to make a pass and mm-hmm. then have, you know, the balls, I should say, to actually make a pass, um, especially with that little grip. I mean, you're probably going to have to go offline. They're probably going to block the heck out your you. Defend, not block. They're probably going to defend the heck out of you. So you're probably going to have to go offline. And, you know, that's what Lewis said. Lewis said in the post, he went for a pass. He went offline, and the line wasn't as dry as he thought, and cars just didn't stop. Uh, and you know, that's what it all comes down to is the cream roast to is the top today and rain was the great equalizer as it always is. And you know, these formula one drivers, I think we've really seen who some of the best drivers in, in the world are right now. Uh, and that's really my top takeaway from the whole formula one race. There was a number of really good, uh, drives from everybody, but you definitely saw the rookies struggle. Mazapin's Schumacher and Sonoda were all off multiple times. Um it, it was not a track that was going to be very kind to drivers that were there on money and not merit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was uh, I was very, very entertained overall in that race. I thought it was – and it was a good race from a strategy point too. It was an even better race from a strategy point. The undercuts, the, the undercut attempts, the overcut attempts. You don't see very many overcuts very much uh, in Formula 1, but you saw a lot of them attempted on Sunday. So it just overall, you know, a very good race, very good race out of Formula 1. Um, and that's all I, and Josh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you and let you say whatever you want to say about Formula One race.
1: Yeah, I, I, I echo a lot of your, a lot of your statements there. Um, if not all of them, uh, I enjoyed the race. It definitely was better. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with the DRSM being extended. I think it was necessary. Um, these cars are not built for this track and you had to find it made a way for a better race because it of made, it, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Dry or wet. It made for a better race. I mean, if the race had been sunny, it was still going to be a better race than it was last year because they learned their lessons, um, you know, and how to make the race better and how to make these cars work in this um, COVID rescheduling uh, ordeal that they went because you know Emola wasn't on the original schedule. This replaced uh, whatever race they it replaced. I can't remember now, but um, yeah, good good race. Um, as far as the you know the, the big moment, what you know, first it was off, China. I think this race replaced China. Okay. Um obviously I was impressed by Max Verstappen e- either way. I think Red Bull's going to have a great year. Perez was running fourth when he went off the track. Um you know, again, hit a wet spot, overdrove the corner, boom, car goes around. All right. So obviously downforce isn't king uh in in that situation even at a lower speed. Um so but I'm in, I'm encouraged. I think uh I think Hamilton's gonna win the championship. But Mercedes may not win the constructors championship because again, I think as a as a quote number two driver. No we don't have number one drivers at either team. Bullcrap. Um Perez will outperform Botas in points. And uh I think the second place points are for stopping and Perez's points will uh, well, do uh Botas. Because I think also Botas has to worry about guys l- like like McLaren. And it, it, we see one little thing if it derails Mercedes Day, it's Botas. It's Botas that has the issue. All right. And um it now is going to come to a point where like, okay, third, fourth, and fifth isn't good enough anymore. We're losing points because now you have two Red Bulls in front of you. And not just one, because I'm sorry. for The past two seasons, three seasons of of uh, two seasons, two seasons of Formula One, the second driver at Red Bull has not performed um, as as to their liking in an attempt in in their attempt to win the constructors championship. So that's that was one of my takeaways, Rob.
0: Mercedes got very very lucky. That oh yeah. Perez also didn't score points. Oh yes. Like very. If Perez had scored points, that would have been you know this early in the season that would have been a big leg up for for mm-hmm. red bull over mm-hmm. Mercedes. Oh, you know, mercedes got that. so lucky as soon as boltaiz crashed they were hoping that perez had a problem over- Just <laughs> something to put him down just so that he doesn't score points you know what i mean yeah,
1: yeah. and they got in you know they got got lucky but in a way it makes it more interesting in another way you know it opens up the door for more what ifs uh later in the season um i do like i think mclaren's going to have fun i think Re- Ricardo still adjusting to the team a little bit, but Norris, man, he's so good. He's so good. Um, I, I, uh, Ferrari looked good. Um, again, race two of the season. Um, but McLaren was looking good last year to the, to the crash. Uh, I tweeted this right before I went to work. Cause I saw the, the, the tweet. We live in a world where you have to apologize for being emotional. And I hate that. Um, I don't think his actions, in his words that he said, warranted an apology. Racing is an emotional sport, all right? The moment you lose your emotion, you lose your passion.
0: Get out. You're no longer going to perform well. I, I mean, I- in, in, his, in, in Russell's defense, from his point of view, if you look at that onboard and you don't have any other view of it, yeah, it probably looks like Peltas didn't give you all that much room. he pushed you off the track. You know what I mean? And and so I think from his point of view, he's going to be mad because that's his one view. He's able to come back later and be like, oh, I now see a replay. I now realize, you know, it was a bit maybe 50% driver error, 50% racing deal. You know, I, I
1: don't think, think that's
0: what I don't
1: I don't think this. I,
0: can can you see Nikki Lauda apologizing for the, for this? If he goes back, I'm and not saying it, he had to apologize. I yeah. I don't think he needed to apologize. I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying, like you know, people should have given him the benefit of the doubt. There being like, well, yeah, because they showed on a replay at, during the red flight, they show an onboard of Russell's car, and yeah. when you look at that, that is you see why Russell would be upset. Yeah. Of course, he's gonna be because he's not gonna be like he's not gonna get out of the car and then. Look right at a at a jumbotron and see you know another view of the wreck. No, of course he's going to go right over there to Botas. Let him know he wasn't happy, and <laughs> with the way he, and, and then and, walk back to the paddock. And and Botas, no one should be.
1: You have this little discussion there on track. You know, first you okay, okay, good. Now I'm mad at you. I'm going to yell at you now. Um, but Botas also should be a big enough man and a driver as a competitor. And no, all right. He was mad. I've been there before. All right. We we both were both going to move on. We're not going to talk about it. And I don't expect an apology from him. But I get this weird, sickening feeling that Botos was a little peeved by that. And maybe someone somewhere at a certain organization said, Hey, I think we need an apology. I think we need to say an apology so we can amend some bridges here. I really think that's the case. That maybe that maybe Russell was told, hey, send out an apology. And move on, and
0: be the bigger man. Which I'm. Totally- it's also a different. Formula One is a different environment. I is mean, it- that's kind of more expected. You're expected yeah. to be more professional and, but be professional publicly, not just privately, but publicly.
1: And I and I and but I feel like that's also anywhere. I think if this happens in IndyCar, the same thing happens in in it happens in NASCAR. No, I
0: think if this happens in IndyCar, I think they are allowed to basically fight it out. In nothing, it, it, things are done differently. If this happens in, I don't know. If this, ha- if as long, if this does not happen in a world champ, like the only place that this happens is Formula One, Formula E, um, WEC, whatever. You know, world championship. You know, they're gonna pretty much penalize your your ass if you do anything out of the line like that. Whereas here, over here in the states, it's kind of like expected that. Drivers are going to be emotional and show their emotions and not be apologetic. Whereas over and from a world championship standpoint, the expectation is that you apologize for things, for outbursts. You, you, it doesn't necessarily make it right. You know, right. I'm not saying that I disagree with your take, yeah. but I'm just kind of providing a devil's advocate point of view. Yeah. If this that's is it. just kind of how it is. And that's fair. I just don't want this. I don't want to live in that world. I don't blame <laughs> Russell. <laughs> it's okay. I don't
1: want – Russell should they, – they, they? what? This nothing should have happened after this. When they had the conversation, Russell, this is what Russell should have done. We see his right – okay. All right. Mm, it could have gone either way. It was a little bit his fault, a little bit racing incident. All right, moving on. I'm not tweeting anything. I'm all All right, on to the next race. That's how it should have gone. I don't, I don't. feel. I feel bad that he felt or was obligated, whatever, to tweet an apology posted an apology on social media. I feel sorry for him for that respect. All right. That's all my stuff on Formula One. I enjoyed the race. I just wish it was the San Marino Grand Prix instead of the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. There
0: you go. Which is still weird because people point out that San Marino is on the other side of the country. Yeah. (laughs) uh,
1: I know, I know. It's just <laughs> it's the same thing with like why we called it the Eiffel Grand Prix instead of the German Grand Prix. We're going to Portugal, we're calling it the Portuguese Portuguese Grand Prix. We called why- it the
0: Luxembourg Grand Prix one time, crying out loud. They weren't even in Luxembourg.
1: Yeah, but yeah, that was that was a very interesting that was a very it was like instead of having a European Grand Prix because they already had a European Grand Prix, yeah. So they wake up another Grand Prix to do it, which I don't care. But if you have in that case, but when you're the only race in Germany, call it the frickin'
0: German Grand Prix.
1: And right, moving on,
0: I I don't know. I'm testing. Nürburgring it. Grand Prix works just as well. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Let's talk about some uh, NASCAR. Let's get back over here to the states. Talk about some NASCAR. The Truck Series ran at Richmond. That was that was interesting. It's been a long time since we've seen uh, the Truck Series run at Richmond. Uh, last, well, last year we year. saw it, but uh, you know, prior if, to that, prior to that, it was a while. So, you know, it was pretty good. Uh overall, so I watched a majority I watched a good solid chunk of this race, but the biggest takeaway I took away from it was just how crazy the uh last 30 30 uh last 130 laps were. Uh everybody was wrecking seemed like every, nobody could keep it off each other. Nobody could keep it off the wall. Nobody could stay keep it down. And, I mean, from the start of the race, you knew who was going to win the race. It was going to be a Kyle Busch Motorsports car. It was either going to be Kyle himself or it was going to be John Hunter Nemechek. So you didn't really have to pay attention to the lead. But you did have to pay attention to the mid-pack because there was a lot of pack racing, quite literally, three-wide, two-wide all over Richmond, which is great. You like to see that, except the trucks, the guys just could not, for the life of them, keep the trucks straight. Which <laughs> I didn't get. The first eighty some laps, they were able to be careful.
1: It was the longest. I think. Uh, I think it was. Vince Wilts said that it was the longest start to a race, like I think, a number of laps without a caution since 2014. I'm like, dang. There's that big of There's that that many races have an incident of some sort, whether it be a blown engine or a crash, or someone spinning. Well, 2016
0: all- doesn't count because
1: of the caution clock. Yeah, that's true. They, but still, that was a horrible rule. By the way, that was the dumbest rule <laughs> ever. Dumbest rule ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was I was getting mad because I had I was going out with friends. I'm like, can we run this? Can we finish this race before I have to leave, please? <laughs> I'm like, if this race by the by the time they started the final stage, they would have not drove like they were arc of. Driver. Sorry. I'm taking a dig at everyone there. Um if they weren't driving like fools. I mean, good night. And then you had the and then the thing that was a little crazy um was uh Norm Benning Jennifer Joe Cobb deal. She definitely paid him back, which I'm I am no problem against short track racing. That's just that's just the way it goes. If you're, you're gonna pay gonna... anyone back, do it at a short track. Exactly. I mean that was that was first off, she... She wrecked herself, which I think was maybe okay. She didn't wreck, but she spun. I didn't buy the thing that that the, the, the she might have was about to get parked, and then. But what was a? Jennifer, uh, oh, damaged vehicle clock evidently got her, according to an official stat. But I don't, oh, okay. I don't think that was going to be the end of her day um if she didn't last any longer i think she might have been parked i think they were going i think they were prepared to park both of those drivers because okay we can't
0: be doing this um and which yeah we don't it's just <laughs> two to and this is no disrespect to Genjo or norm but the last thing anyone wants to see <laughs> the last thing anyone wants to see is two guys brawl for last place you
1: know what I mean? Yeah, I'm that, sorry. yeah, and that is that's very true. And I think that was part of it. Like, okay, this isn't first off, I think you wreck anyone intentionally, short track or not, you're going to get parked. I think we've seen that. They don't, they're not gonna tolerate that. Um, you know, in different there's definitely different levels of wrecking someone intentionally. There's a Matt the Joey Logano way, and then there's also just spinning someone intentionally. Anyway, either way, you are going to get black flagged by NASCAR and said, put it behind the wall. All right. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was probably one of the highlights of the race was just
0: that, um, that's, that's pretty much there's yeah, out of all the wrecks. And outside of that, that's about most. I remember of the race and I have pretty good memory. So I did want to say this because, and I and I wrote it down here and I just reminded myself of it.
1: Um, is John Hunter Niemicek proving to KBM that you, you, you can only catch, you know, five, uh, lightning in a bottle with young, inexperienced so
0: often because they went through Todd Gilliland. Um, who well, him? no, here's the thing. They had, these guys, look, look, these guys, first of all, Eric Jones was a Kyle Busch prospect, first of all. Um, he was not. Was.
1: It doesn't matter whose prospect was, but okay, you, caught, you caught Eric Jones and you caught. Well, uh, well, like Eric he Jones got the, the ride
0: at Kyle Busch Motorsports because he beat Kyle Busch, right? So right. basically all Kyle Busch has to do is go out to any short track and whoever beats him is, could be considered lightning in a bottle there.
1: Right. I mean, that's fair. But, but when you talk about young and inexper- experience, sometimes you need that veteran driver. I think you just can't put two youngsters in a car and expect to win races. I think John Hunter Nibicek is proving, you know what? It's not bad to have a guy with a few years of experience behind the wheel. And I, 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 I because they haven't done anything since Bell. Let's be honest. They haven't done anything in the truck series with a truck regular since Bell.
0: Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I, I You know, I think you're right in that, though. Because, too, let's look at it this way. It, when you say that, they had... It, it's, If you don't already have that raw talent and you're looking to develop real quick, it's probably going to be a lot more comfortable for a driver to go to a teammate an, an ex- older and experienced teammate and ask for advice and, and help than to go up to boss man. Yeah. Guy who signs your paycheck. You know what okay. I mean? Be like, you know, you don't want to go up there and be like, you know, I, I just, I can't drive this right. You know, I don't understand how to drive it. What am I going to do? And the boss man, you, you know, you could have like that anxiety. The boss man goes, you know, I he has this label on you. You know, I like, Oh, this guy doesn't know how to do something that comes naturally to Kyle Bush. Doesn't come naturally to this person. And then, in his head, you know, that could be a red flag. You know what I mean? That could be the anxiety that could go through one of those drivers' uh, heads. It's, it's 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 something that would go through my head. You know, yeah. sometimes there's there's a time and place, I think, to ask for help. At least this is how I approach it, and I'm not recommending anybody else approach it this way. But, you know, there's a time and a place to ask for help. and You don't want to ask for help on something that you feel like you could do your own or mm-hmm. you feel like you could get somewhere else you know what i mean you want to show initiative in other areas rather than going straight to you know boss man or whatever for help you know what i mean um and that could be something i'm not saying it is i'm not saying it is at all i'm just speculating spitballing here but that could be something so yeah Yeah. it's always going to be helpful to have a veteran voice yeah
1: I, i i'm um I'm joined watching John Hunter Nemechek in this truck series. I really am. Um, and it's nice <laughs> to see. And we saw it a couple times, but it might happen for a lap or two. Christian Eckes had a couple brilliant moments last year, but couldn't put it together. It's nice to see someone go out there and like, all right, when I strap, if I'm Kyle Busch, I strap this truck, all right, I'm going to have to beat my teammate today. I'm not going to have to. I'm not just going to flop into it. Eventually I'm going to have to go out there and beat him. So it's, it's nice to watch that. Um, and just again, it's good to see John here new because he's had a rough 2019, 2020, Um, you know, GMS just wasn't where they needed to be in the Xfinity series in 2019 to get him wins. You know, it was good enough to be in the playoffs. Wasn't going to be good enough to get wins. And last year in the front row motorsports, um, you know, I think he'd still be doing better than, than, uh, Anthony Alfredo or Michael McDowell at this point in that car, but he's winning races, he's getting his name out there, he's collecting trophies. Um uh so that's that's good to see. That's good to see. I'm enjoying the truck series this year even if it's been 6 Toyota victories so far.
0: And uh headed by Vince Welch's awful commentary. And that's that's something that really hurts me to watch the truck series, man. I'm going to move on to cup series here because it's going to be really easy to get by. Basically this race was, I'm not going to say it was a complete waste of time, but it felt like a waste of time. <laughs> I So here's how I watched this. I watched cup race. I watched the majority of the cup. I was out with my family, and we were watching the cup race. I was watching cup race at an Applebee's, right? And I'm thinking, okay, this is pretty good. And then I get home, and I put the IndyCar race on, and I put the NASCAR race on the second screen on, on my other TV because I have two TVs set up, one for just television and the other one for retro gaming, but I also connect the other TV to uh, roku so that i can watch you know two games two games or two races at the same time if i need to so i'm watching this the nascar race just i'm looking at this and i'm like it looks like all they're doing is passing lap cars over and over again it doesn't look like anybody's else i mean the restarts are cool and fun but after that it gets all really spread out you know denny hamlin is just dominating he's kind of running away the IndyCar race is a little bit more exciting then the IndyCar race ends and i turn it back to nascar so that gets my full attention And then suddenly the race gets good. And that's what really bothered me. Like, then suddenly, like, the last 50 laps, maybe 60 laps, suddenly the race starts getting really good. You know, suddenly cars start passing. Suddenly you start seeing lap cars not be as in the way as they were. And I'm just sitting here like, what happened? this, This surely is not a coincidence, right? Like, this had to have been, you know, I don't know. Maybe this was a coincidence. This had to have been a coincidence, right? There's no way that some... You know, that, that that God looked down on me and said, you know what? You've been tortured through this NASCAR race, and uh, I'm going to fix that for you now that you're paying full attention to it. Like, I, I don't think that actually happened. Um, some people could say it does, but yeah, I don't think I prayed for that. This and say, hey, Rob, watch
1: the NASCAR race fully next time. It'll be interesting for all the in, in its entirety. But
0: I have watched the full races, and for the most part, you know, the first two stages are dull, and then the last stage is pretty good. Um and this case was, the first two stages were really dull and then the last, you know, half of the last stage was really good, um and and so you know I just was interested in that the battle between Logano and Hamlin, and then you get the late race caution with a rare Kevin Harvick crash, yeah, and then Bowman wins the race out of no like like the whole race. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, okay, well, Hamlin's probably going to win this race. Oh, no, Lugano might win this race. It's going to be one of those two, right? It's not going to be anybody else. Like, the whole time, I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, like, nobody else is going to win this race. Nobody else has a good enough car. Nobody else has the opportunity. Nobody else is going to have a good enough pit stop. Suddenly, here comes Bowman. That's just on good. a great race. We restart with 15 to go. Wins the race. Shocks me. Leaves me with my mouth hanging open. Makes me look like an idiot for not watching the whole race. It's just in general, uh, I was pretty impressed.
1: I think it was just good crew chiefing by Greg Ives. He called, yes, he won that race. Um, you know, it takes a team to win a race again, people, it takes a team to win a race. Um, and, uh, Greg Ives made the call. Well, it's most likely was jacking up air pressures. I didn't ever hear him if he said anything, but it had to be air pressures Just jack those up. And if, if he didn't, you know, get, Alex, you got get the lead here in the first few laps. Otherwise, you are not going to get the lead. Um, when you get the lead, retain it. You know, it was a short enough run. It was a 12-up run, I think. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think Richmond's one of those tracks. Um, the higher downforce, uh, or excuse me, the uh, um, the higher horsepower has helped it. But I think it's one of those tracks. It's a really good example of we need to get these cars off the ground because I think if you get them off the ground, get air underneath the car, that will help the racing product for whatever reason. Richmond is just sh- struggling right now. It's one. Of, it's one of those really weird tracks that it's a short track, but for some reason it l- likes to act like a, a speedway a little bit. And um, I it could car, just be at night. Well. I, the night racing really hasn't been any better. You get cooler temperatures, more grip cars. The, the, the objective was to have it hotter. So it'd be slicker, but it, I don't think it was a very hot day in Richmond that day. It was overcast even. So, um, it just, it, it, they're not winning right now when it comes to, uh, cup series and weather conditions. Cause the truck series was sunny for the most part. all race long. Um, but yeah, I, I well, from what I gathered it was it was one of those eh, races. Um you're going to get those. Look, we've had a really good run. You know, this is what race 9 of the year, we are officially one quarter of the way through the NASCAR Cup season. I think we've had seven pretty good race, seven races that were that were pretty good. Um six seven races that are pretty good and you kind of had two that were like yeah uh, uh, eh, kind of feeling we haven't I don't think we've had a dud. Um uh, we haven't had uh my goodness, it's been a while since we've had a dead race. Like they, we haven't had a Texas race in a while. Um, level of deadness, so that's good. I, I think we're heading in the right direction. We just need to continue to try to, you know, uh, we're not going to influence NASCAR, but we need the people who who are there to influence them. Like, look, here's the things we need to change on next year's car because it, it's going to be hard to change things for Richmond in the fall. You know, they're not going to throw rule changes out there, especially with it being a playoff race. But for next year, okay, here's the things we can work on. Again, Rob, it's been a while since we've mentioned it on this podcast, but we've mentioned it a lot. Track specific packages, you know, for these for these cars. That's what we need, you know, to go back to. Okay. We need to quit blanking blanket covering, you know, including Indianapolis, the oval, and with Kansas. Okay. Kansas and Indianapolis are two different beasts. Okay. Indianapolis needs to be with Pocono. Kansas needs to be with Charlotte and Texas and Las Vegas. Um, Richmond, while it's a short track, it's not going to be like Martinsville or or, or Bristol. It, it, it's it's comparative out there right now. Really, is only Memphis. Okay, and we don't go to Memphis sadly. Um, Iowa, it's its own beast. It's in eight, seven eighths of a track. So I'm, I'm just I'm just rambling at this point. But congratulations to Alex Bowman. All right, for winning this race. If you went to the Las Vegas, I don't know what the odds were. I don't seen the odds. I haven't seen anyone tweet about it. Um, and I don't think anyone would answer me if I tweeted them. But if someone would have gone to Vegas, let's say in January, and placed a $5 bet on the fact, on the, on the uh, uh, what's it called? Um, a, oh, there's a special, a prop bet that Chase Elliott would be the fourth and final Hendrick Motorsports driver to go to Victory Lane in 2020. You probably would have won a crap ton of money because... While he could have won a couple races earlier this year, he didn't. It was William Byron, Kyle Larson, and Alex Bowman who went to victory lane. So, congratulations to them. Uh, congratulations, Bowman. First time the 48 has been to victory lane. Obviously, since Jimmy Johnson won his last race, I wrote it down here. June 4th, 2017 at Dover. So, it's Crazy. been a while since the has been in victory lane. You know what I want? We were still in college. I, I, I know. I mean, I was still in college. My gosh, we are old. When was uh who, who was the first driver to win um in the 43 after Richard Petty retired? Was that Bobby Hamilton?
0: If Hamilton won then yes, if not it would have been John Andretti, I think. I'm looking this up because this is what this is, you know, this is kind of what this is. And it's kind of like what what Austin Dillon did
1: in the in the um um in the 3. In the 3
0: and, uh, Joey Logano in the twenty too. Yeah, but I'm remember talking- that that race?
1: Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Um I'm looking I'm looking this up here. For I
0: like those comer- that commercial when Tony was was leaving the team in the Home Depot, did commercials to like pass the torch from Tony to Logano. And it was Tony doing home improvement stuff and Joey kept screwing it up. Like yeah. I remember one, they were painting the house and Joey's st- step back got his whole foot stuck in the bucket paint bucket or something yeah so without
1: going into too much research here bobby hamilton did win in the 43 at phoenix in 1996 i'm pretty sure it was
0: bobby hamilton
1: yeah so uh, it was the first driver to win post Richard, uh, uh, richard petty austin Dillon you know, a longer gap for the three there, uh, obviously, but you know, him winning at Charlotte in the Cup series, at least in the cup series, correct. In the cup series. Um, so yeah, this is kind of one of those moments, you know, the seven time champion, uh, numbers there. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's kind of one of those moments. So congratulations Oxbowman Alex Bowman, again,
0: congratulations to him. Let's move on to IndyCar. Yeah. That's a great way to segue here into IndyCar because tch, Jimmy Johnson, man, isn't he's that- got a he's got a a very very big hill to climb this year. He's mm-hmm. got a very big hill to climb. I th- I think he can do it, but he's that first race. And, and I didn't th- I didn't expect it to be at the top of the time charts. Um, I expected it. I I didn't really expect. I don't know how to say this. I expected more out of Grosjean than I did out of Johnson and McLaughlin. I really felt like people are overestimating Johnson and McLaughlin because both of them. I it's had it's gotta be over ten years since McLaughlin last ran an, an open wheel car. Uh before St. Pete last year. I'm pretty sure if he ever ran one prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um Johnson, it's been even longer, if at all. Yeah. These two guys are gonna have the largest learning curve and the steepest learning curves. Doesn't matter the fact that they're both with the two best teams right now. Like yeah. the fact of the matter is polo and power were pretty much the two dominating forces of this whole race and their teammates to mclaughlin and johnson and but that's the thing like i think while it's great that we have these talents in indycar let's not go so hard like i felt like nbc and a lot of fans and even some other media were like really putting all their chips into like this high expectations for mclaughlin and johnson i'm like guys that's not fair. If you want to put all your chips on to somebody to give high expectations to, give it to Grosjean, because Grosjean's the one guy you're overlooking here. Yeah, I think you so. Know? I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean,
1: I thought – I think the spin, he went a lap down. He, he, he Oh, run. I wasn't
0: talking about the race either. I mean, John, the race oh, w- went about as predictably oh. as I expected for Jimmy Johnson. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought.
1: I thought maybe – if he, doesn't, if he doesn't go a lap down so soon, I think he was probably going to go a lap down eventually. He just wasn't going to have quite the pace, but maybe if a couple of cautions, he can stay on the lead lap. Maybe he gets lucky with a couple overtakes. Um, but, you know, I thought myself, okay, 24 cars on the field. There's probably going to be a wreck. There's probably going to be a couple of mechanical failures. He's going to finish 16th through 20th. I really thought that. Um, I would think maybe by the time we get to Laguna Seca or Long Beach, I should say, because Long Beach is season finale. Um, he m- might be competing for top tens. I would look for Jimmy Johnson to be competing for
0: much better finishes next year. Going it's going to a about seat time. It's all, it's all about seat time. And that's what Jimmy said himself. Jimmy said basically, you know— the goal is to finish the race. He doesn't care where he finishes, he doesn't care how many laps down he finishes. He's just got to log laps and win finish the race. And they talked about it in his spin too, you know. It's all about learning stuff because, you know, that that was his first IndyCar race under actual race conditions, you know. Good. Prior to that, you could do as many of those things as you want in practice. Well, people will be nice to you in practice because it's practice. In the mm-hmm. race, they're not going to be so nice to you. They're going to close the door, they're going to defend. And I think Jimmy Johnson just he got in a situation there where he was racing someone who was defending a little harder. He didn't know how the air was going to go over the the car, and he just misjudged that. And it, the car went around on him, and that's a learning thing. You know, he learned. I mean, if Johnson doesn't spin, he doesn't learn. And I know it's, it's one thing because I rag on Nikita Mazepin all the time because he spins all the time. Well, Mazepin, as— Supposed to be is in Formula One and he has plenty of open wheel experience. He's expected to probably not spin as often as he does, which, by the way, did Mazepin com is updated now to include the fact that he has now spun in almost every session he's been in in Formula One. It's um, spun twice in practice and now has spun in the race as well. Uh, so but Johnson, uh, let's be on. But with Johnson, Johnson is a seven time NASCAR champion. Yes, but he has never been in an open wheel car. Uh, until essentially this yeah. past Absolutely. year. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's an apples and oranges difference, but Johnson in this case is expected to spin. I expected him to spin because he needs to learn that he needs to spin. He needs to see how the arrow is going to affect. It's not like NASCAR. I mean, NASCAR yeah. are very air dependent. IndyCar is very arrow dependent, but the way that air goes over that car is a lot different because the cars are different. And Johnson has to learn that. And throughout time, Jimmy will learn that because he's a smart guy. He's a seven-time champion. He's smart. He knows how to adapt. He could do it. I mean, this is somebody who came from driving off-road cars to driving motorbike or driving motorbikes to off-road cars to, to pavement cars and now to open-wheel cars. I mean, he can learn. I'm not yeah. denying that he can yeah. learn. But it's going to take him a while. McLaughlin is the same way. I mean, this is somebody – I mean, supercars is a lot different. Than NASCAR and I'll talk about supercars in a little bit but supercars is a lot different than NASCAR supercars a lot different than IndyCar you know so the different you know McLaughlin probably going to NASCAR would probably be better he would have probably more of a, a Marcus Ambrose type run depending on what car, team he was with um Ambrose wasn't necessarily with the best team at the time uh mm-hmm. No, he, he ended up much later being with a midfield Penske team, which was still pretty good. But he was never at the level that would be comparable to McLaughlin going straight into Penske. Um, so even even with that, uh, it and and also Marcus is going from a similar racing car to a similar racing car. Now, supercars and NASCAR, yes, there's differences. There's a lot of very blatant differences, but they're both stock cars. They're both, uh, you know, cars. They're they're not open wheeled cars. Yeah. They both have the same kind of properties. You kind of drive them the same. Um Whereas in IndyCar, it's a totally different driving experience. You go from, you know, the you can brake later, but you have to find the edge of when, just how late can you brake, you right. know? You know the edge when you're behind the wheel of your supercar or your cup car, but when you're behind of an IndyCar, you don't know that limit yet, you know? And once those guys learn the limit, then they're going to start being good. But people... We're really, really rushing them. Like NBC would not stop talking about Jimmy Johnson, even though he's one running twenty first, two laps down. They would not stop yeah. talking about him. I'm like guys, hey, at least you are talking about guys in the back of the pack, right? Give them that. But it's it's not like they're giving Max Chilton any uh, any yeah, airtime, not right? Max love no. So, um, of course, only, I'm the only person probably watching for Max Chilton airtime, right?
1: <laughs> be I, let's, let's
0: be honest with that one.
1: We should all be watching for everyone to get airtime. Everyone should have a fair shake at airtime. I say that. That would be the... If I was somehow appointed motorsports showrunner of whatever racing series, all right, everyone's going to get their, you know, a fair equal share because all these teams put the same amount of effort and some of the back markers put even more effort in and everyone's sponsorship des- deserves airtime. Plain and simple as that. Make it work, you know? Um, Rob, let's talk about one point here. You know, obviously... You know, Polo won the race, you know. Congratulations.
0: Yeah, X Polo win the race. Could we that we're, we I feel like you just glanced over that. Could, yeah. Who had this? Who had no, this? I had, didn't, didn't. didn't. have this, this I early. Didn't had, this is on Ganassi debut. He wins. Holy cow. Yeah. I did not expect. I mean, he, he looked good last year. I yeah. won't deny, but he didn't like strike me as an immediate race winner last year. You know what I mean? This year he comes right out of the gate and it's like, oh god, we have to compete with him now. This literally is anybody's championship.
1: It's going to be fun to watch him because I. Well, it's going to be. My initial thought was, well, he did something that Felix Rosenquist couldn't do, and that was win in the Chip Ganassi car. Um, and Rosenquist didn't even finish. No, that was um that was a scary wreck. Let's let's put it that way. Um, obviously, um, you know, talk about air. Even veterans make mistakes. All right. Now, you know, you know, you talk about it, Joseph Newgarden lost the air, got loose off my first, first lap there spins, um, first collects Herda, And then he spins back around and Ryan Hunter Ray runs into him. And as you watch the slow replay images shared by, by Ryan Hunter Ray on his socials, we got another win for arrow screen. It likely, and I would even go and say, definitely saved Ryan Hunter Ray's life. And much like, the, to compare to what we saw last last uh, November in Bahrain, the halo did its job, held up under pressure uh, in high-force contact, saved Roman Grosjean's life. The halo held up, looked to be intact, um, even though it took the, the full brunt of of Joseph Newgarden's right front suspension entirely. Um, so, yeah. I would uh, say
0: right now, if I were a race car driver, I would feel a heck of a lot safer with an aero screen than just a halo. I would feel safe with a halo, but I would feel even safer with the aero screen. Oh, yes, for sure.
1: Absolutely. I kind of I kind of wondered myself um, after I saw that, like how much longer until Formula One, we start hearing little blips of, okay, we need an aero screen ourselves. We don't just need the halo. The halo has saved, honestly, saved a number of lives. Uh, saved Botas' life this weekend, most likely. Um, you know, the, oh, God. The way- yeah, I forgot
0: about that. Yeah, that's true. The,
1: the way George Russell's car in front hit there. Um, but I think uh, they're going to have to start considering, okay, IndyCar's got something here. Um, not only, I mean, cause it's not it's not just tires and big pieces. It's a little debris, because I kind of wondered, uh, who was the car, first car driving through? The, the debris field in in Emola uh, this weekend when it came when it when when Botas and them crashed. Anyways, I know one of them was Schumacher, I think one. Of them was, yeah, one of them was Schumacher, but they, I think he was a second car. But you had all this debris flying. You know, I think it's it, they're they're going to have seriously consider the arrow screen in Formula One because IndyCar they have countless uh, incidents in just the just. In Less than a year because the IndyCar season last year started in June, so in 10 months they have countless incidents where the aeroscreen has saved lives, if not prevented serious injury.
0: I agree with that 100%. So, I'm going to wrap that up because we're running real, real late on to get to a lot of stuff here. So, I'm going to talk about some of the other week- weekend wrap ups here. Uh, talk about some of the supercar races here, real quick. Uh, the uh, supercars was in Simmons Plains, Shane Van Gisbergen. Uh, was finally dethroned as the only winner in supercars this year. He did, however, win race one. But race two, he was finally bested by his teammate, Jamie Wincup. Now, I had called for Cam Waters to probably beat him. Cam didn't win that. I He, man, it is so disappointing. I don't know what to say about Cam Waters, man. He does so well. He qualifies so well. But then it seems like he just can't put together a, the long race. It's like... Uh, he can't defend. He could, he just can't defend against those Red Bull cars, wind cup and uh, SPG every single time they get close to him. And he just either doesn't have the speed, doesn't have the pace or whatever. He can't keep the, he can't keep them behind him, you know? And then he can't have a good enough pit stop where he can undercut him. You know, it's just like, ah, I I'm really waiting for cam waters to break out and get that win. But right now he's just so unlucky. Tickford just needs to get their head in the game, man. Uh because guys like Heimgardner, man, they are just they're not even anywhere near existence. But then you have Waters consistently starting on the pole and running up front, but he just can't put anything together. Um it is Heimgardner that's his teammate, I think, right? I'm not sure. I'll have to look on that. But anyway, so yeah, Jamie Wincup was the actual person who bested Shane Van Gisbergen over this weekend. Um and then Race 3 had a surprise winner as well. I didn't expect this, but Chaz Mostert won for Andretti Wilkinshaw United. Uh, that was pretty cool. Got a, a little local connection there. Um, overall, I love Supercars weekend. was great uh, as as it normally is. Has some really good races, good pit strategy. Interesting to see like guys taking just one singular tire. Uh, that's a very interesting uh, thing to. Um, that's cool. Uh, yeah, let's if, see it if, if, if Supercars. But uh, overall, I love Simmons playing. If you've ever seen like, I hope sometimes Josh someday if you ever branch out and talk about like international. Uh, racetracks on your featured race racetrack or something, I'd love for you to talk about Simmons, Simmons Plains sometime because that is just a, such an interesting track. It's like, it, it's a fast, short... I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's a road course but it's a, it's like, it's, it's fast enough to probably be a speedway but it's also really short. You have like, consistent sub-one minute laps, so it's like, a short track. It's this really weird, cool thing that has a lot of Fast sections and one really, really tight passing zone where a lot of action can happen. Uh it, it's it's one of the best racetracks. I saw earlier uh the S five thousand series race open wheel cars on there. Yeah, fantastic race as well. SVG actually, I think I ended up wanting winning one of those races. Um but yeah, just overall uh just a great circuit that I love talking about. Did you want to add something before I get into indie lights and USF two
1: thousand? I was just gonna say maybe we need to do a Rob's featured racetrack
0: well no i, I look I, I don't know much about Simmons Plains. I just like the way the the racetrack is designed, and I like every race I've ever watched there so um that's why i says, i just suggest i think more people should be aware that this this beautiful track down in tasmania Australia exists uh and it's this really cool anomaly of just it's 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 got a hairpin turn probably shorter it it's oh my god that hairpin is tighter than a Martinsville turn that's it. it is so tight and it is just but it has two long straights at the end of it so you literally have a whole straight to get a it. pass on some guy then make a turn and then you have a whole straight to try and keep them at bay so that they don't get a draft off you and get you into the the next passing so it's just I'm it's looking at it. I, that
1: is a pretty tight corner I mean that yeah that is that is half
0: martinsville at dope. least dang it is lovely um indy lights was back by the way hey do did you, did you watch it on peacock josh
1: no i was at, i was i was busy unfortunately
0: well i think you can watch it uh on a replay on peacock so i'll probably i've done i did that that's how i did it i watched the replay really good production value of an indy lights race kevin lee and uh, charlie kimball on the call really good production value um linus lundquist won a race one. David Malukas won race two of the Indy lights race. Keep, keep in mind this is the first Indy lights race, uh, since 2019. Yep. So big, big deals there. Uh, Indy pro 2000 had their season start as well. Uh, first race was run by Brad and Brad and The second race was run by Hunter McIlray. Uh, moving on now to the outstanding performance, Josh, we'll go ahead and try and get this through quickly so he can have more time for the upshift and downshift. Who's your outstanding performance? I'm going to give mine to Matt Benedetto
1: and wood brothers um, I think they're finally getting things together. There's a number of people I could have given it to this week, and, and you picked one that was certainly one of them. It's certainly very deserving. Um, But I gave mine to Matt Benedetto after much debate. I know I remember when I sent to you, I said, a game time decision, LOL, because I couldn't decide. I really couldn't decide. Um, So, yeah, Matt Benedetto, Nath place finish, first top ten for them. They've been consistently getting better. As I mentioned last week, Um, in the first... Uh, in the previous four races compared to the first four races of the year. Um, you know, and he ran in the top 10 all day long. You know, that's, yeah, that's important. You know, this isn't something he just fell into, where he raced his way up from 17th to 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 9th uh, to in that final restart. And he outperformed two of the three Penske regulars. Important note there. Um, it's, again, as I mentioned in the season preview, I think, or maybe it was after the Daytona race, it's not too late for plans to change for Mr. Austin Sindrick. uh, and Team Penske and Wood Brothers. It's not too late. The same.
0: That'd be that'd be nice. Uh, but I'm giving mine to Roman Grosjean, and the reason why I'm doing, this, like you you said, Josh, you said this, not me. I don't know why I said like I said, but like you said, uh, they, there was a number of drivers that we could have given this to. I mean, there was so many deserving drivers. I thought about Hamilton at one point. Uh, but then I was like, no, Hamilton wasn't Hamilton perfect, so I'm not going to give it to him just yet. Uh, I thought about Lando Norris. Um, you know, I thought about Alex Bowman. I thought about Alex Palou. I thought about um, you know, th- there was a lot of drivers that I felt that were very worthy, but there was one driver that I felt like, and I- I'm not saying this was this is accurate because he didn't really fall under the radar. You know, he was interviewed. He was taken seriously. He got airtime, but. Compared, like I said, to compare to Johnson and McLaughlin, it seemed like this guy was kind of an also-ran, despite the fact that he performed much better. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman Grosjean. So keep in mind, the reason why I'm giving this to him is this is his first time in an Indy car. basically. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have nearly as as much testing in an Indy car as Jimmy Johnson or Scott McLaughlin, which is understandable. Grosjean's been in an open-wheel car for the last uh, 15 years, yeah. uh, and they have not. Um, So you probably don't need as much testing. Um, But the fact of the matter was it was a Dale Coyne-Rickware car, which basically, if you think about that, Dale Coyne-Rickware, two of probably the most infamous driver uh, uh, team owners when it comes to hiring bad drivers and fielding bad cars, right? No, Grosjean goes out there basically almost makes the Fast 6. Like, it's only like a a tenth or maybe less than a tenth off of the Fast 6. And then he um, was so, top five
1: for a lot of the race yeah, too. And,
0: and so he was, and he was just out there running so well, and, and he still got burns on his hands, guys. Let's not forget, this guy still has burns on his hands um, from the accident at Bahrain. So, I, I really, given all of those factors, just how I mean, I, I didn't expect Grosjean to be up to speed as quickly as he was. I expected him to be up to speed. I expected him to be fast. Mm-hmm. But I did not expect him to be as fast as he was. Like, fast six fast, you know what I mean? I like, I expected him to qualify in the top ten, but I didn't see him, like, qualifying top five, which was an actual legitimate possibility for about, oh, say, give or take 10 or 20 seconds uh, during qualifying. Um, so, you know, I I was just impressed with him overall, and that's why I've got to give it to him. Um, so moving on now here, let's go into the upshift and downshift. We're going to have uh, our favorite segment of the show upshift you agree downshift you disagree remember play along at home use the hashtag robin roller anytime uh, of course if you're listening to this car wait until you get home but stay fired up about it stay fired up about it we want you to stay fired up about it but uh, don't don't tweet and drive we don't want you to uh do that so just arrive safely and then be as mad as you want about our opinions first question here track limits in formula one must be addressed and have a clear black and white set of rules going forward you upshift and downshift. Josh, I'd normally put, took, take this over to you, but my answer is so clean and cut to the point that I agree 110% that this is an actual thing, so I'm going to upshift, and I don't feel like I need to explain any more. I think uh, past ex- uh, uh, past um, examples speak for themselves. I
1: upshift as well. I think there were plenty of examples this weekend that, that demonstrate we need to have clear and well-known rules and it doesn't matter what your last name is. doesn't matter if you're Hamilton or Mazepin. You are going to get the same treatment from the race director that if I do this, I think it needs to be three, three strike rule personally. Okay, you get one. Okay, there's go. Two. All right, next time.
0: That's you what get, they did, gave to Sonoda, though. They gave him three strikes, and then it was a five second time penalty.
1: There was, a, there, was a, there was photographic evidence that Hamilton did the same thing that Norris did in qualifying, and he didn't get penalized oh yeah okay we're talking about qualifying and stuff yeah yeah i get it yeah absolutely so you know it doesn't matter what part what session of the weekend it is you know practice is one thing you know but qualifying and race particularly okay you get three strikes and you're getting nailed the fourth strike you're getting nailed fifth strike you're getting nailed i don't care you're 50 seconds addition to your time i don't care because you made 10 mistakes at, or you technically made 12 mistakes. You had two, you had two chances. It needs to be clear, cut, and dry. I am tired. I'm sick and tired of track limits dictating what happens in these races and qualifying.
0: Next question here. Benjamin Flowers, a professor of Ohio State University's Knowlton School of Agriculture. And yes, I didn't not say the Ohio State University because Archite- I just feel architecture architecture, 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 architecture. Architecture. Why did I say agriculture? I don't know, dude. I'm so sorry, guys. I am I am somewhere else today. I want to re-rack that, you know. Yeah, well, all right, let's go. Benjamin Flowers, a professor of Ohio State University's Knowlton School of Architecture, says the idea for building a roof over Bristol Motor Speedway is feasible, and he estimates it would cost about $80 million. And do you upshift or downshift the idea that should be explored by Speedway Motorsports?
1: Oh, I, I up shit that they should explore it. Um, they have a lot of irons in the fire right now. As the next question, I think will also elude, uh, you know, to this. Um, you know, you have the national fairgrounds deal. You potentially have North Wilkesboro. I mean, again, I'm that very, again, I'm saying that very loosely. Potentially North Wilkesboro. Um, and the next question will also ha- uh, be part of that as well. But this is something, yeah, they should explore because I think it would be very neat to have Bristol Motor Speedway. As the season finale for NASCAR, um, but the problem is November in uh, eastern Tennessee is kind of unpredictable. You know, it's most likely going to be very cold and you have a chance for snow. Um, You can't have that on a race weekend, a championship weekend, but a roof allows you to do that. And it also opens up the opportunity for, for Bristol to be used for other indoor activities um during the winter so you, you opens up the door for more business potential for for smart speedway and speedway motorsports i think they should at least explore it look at it and if it's not one too many irons in the fire yeah go for it
0: um i'm gonna upshift it but i'm with the assumption that it would be a retractable roof because i would not like to see it be a permanently enclosed that's, that's a good venue. Point. I would like to see Bristol be. I would like for them to, at the very least, you know, if the it if if it's a nice day, if it's warm outside, they should be able to open the roof and give the fans good feeling. But at the same time, you know, if it's rainy, in order to make sure that the race happens, go ahead and close the roof and you yeah, know, don't I worry agree. about any rain. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I that think would be that. great applied that my bad. I'm sorry I'm interrupting you but I kind of
1: I kind of wasn't implying that but I didn't say I was implying it. So yeah, I agree. Well, I, I
0: haven't heard any specific rumblings of whether or not it's going to be a permanent roof or a retractable roof. I haven't heard any of that. So I don't know what it is going to be. So I'm, a lot I'm just of
1: that come down to cost.
0: Right, it'll come down to cost. So, you know, if they're going to make this investment, they might they have to make it worthwhile by making it a retractable roof because you can't have this thing and then kind of take away the atmosphere of racing that mm-hmm. people really like. And you have, and also you have to absolutely make sure that it's ventilated properly. Cause if you're going to enclose all those people into a giant stadium, you have to make sure it's ventilated. Cause I've been to a okay. number of indoor races and man, let me tell you something. It's CO2 poisoning sucks. It's not something you want to get. So you it has to be ventilated. I think that, I think that would go
1: with, with, Without saying that Speedway Motorsports isn't going to enclose this thing like an NBA arena or a typical NFL retractable roof stadium. I think, right? It, and I'm, I'm just
0: d- saying, like, uh, and, yeah. and I'm saying you're right that they wouldn't do that without it, but you know, who knows? Anything can happen. It, it again, if it comes down to cost and cost cutting maneuvers are taken, you know, don't like my whole thing about this. Is if you're going to go through with this roof, don't cut any corners, don't cut any costs, just go all out and like. Let it pay for itself down the long run. You know what yes. I mean. I if that's the route they're going to go, yeah. Um, let's see here. Next question: With the United States Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas in up in questions, Speedway Motorsports will end up the primary promoter of COTA in the near future. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh?
1: Again, a lot of irons in the fire.
0: Um, it just
1: depends on how successful I think that these next couple years are. Um, with with um, with NASCAR there, um, what is the future? Does F1 sign, resign Coda? Um, but I could certainly see them doing this, like being a, a what they're doing with uh, um, with Coda. You know, being being a being you know renting the track. Except, hey, we'll take over the promotions deal. So more so, it's more like oh, well, they're wanting to do with Nashville Fairgrounds. Hey, we'll run the track for you. We'll put on all the events and all that stuff. Um, I can see this happening if they are committed to coda um, in the, for the long, for the long term. So I upshift.
0: Yeah. You know, this is an interesting thing. Uh, you know, personally, the fact of the matter is I don't really care what happens to it. Um, especially if Formula One leaves, um, if Formula One leaves at that point, it's, it's probably just going to be down to NASCAR and IndyCar paying the bills for that. So at the, you know, it might, they might as well. Um, I'm not saying IndyCar. I mean, who knows if IndyCar will even go back? They're not going back this year. I don't know if they'll go back again. But at this point, it'll probably just be NASCAR. Um, and if that's the case, then if that's the case, if that's the case, and you go ahead and they go ahead and decide, okay, well, you know, we're gonna just run NASCAR here, and it's we're gonna call it NASCAR's like premier sh- uh, road course or whatever, which is an insult to Sonoma and Watkins Glen, but. I'm just I'm not I'm not thinking before I'm talking. I'm I have an idea in my head and then I'm just shooting. Um so but yeah, this that's just kind of how I feel about it. You know, it I'm kind of just neutral. I'm going to shift it in a neutral because it's not something that I'm dwelling on all that much, you know what I mean? And I um, think
1: I think it's also not not to nothing get to stay on the point, but I think it's also that the, the facility, the reason I said promoter in the question is because I think the facility would cost a lot. For them to yeah. outright buy, so becoming the primary promoter makes a lot more sense. And I would love to see if that were to happen, or it, even if it doesn't happen, I would love to see IndyCar come back. I love to see IMSA come back because um, the track, again, you like you said, you know, a sense of nationalism. But I think it's a great track. I've never seen a bad race at Kodak. You know, I've just seen some, right uh, you know, some uh, good races, but I've never seen a downright bad race there.
0: Hell, so, supercars put on some of the best racing I've yeah. ever seen at Coda.
1: Ah, exactly. I would love to see them just get all these different forms of racing like a
0: number of other tracks in this country get. Yeah, that uh, was the big appeal for Coda for the longest time was that it was quite literally attracting so much international racing. Like, mm-hmm. if you lived in Austin— there was a time where you were the luckiest race fan on the face of the planet. There yeah. was not a race that you could not go and see. There was not a racing series that you 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 missed. You, MotoGP it was right there. Uh, WEC was right there. Uh, you you wanted to Formula One? You got your Formula One. You want supercars? Yeah, we'll give you a supercars. Why the heck not? You know. And then you go up the up the road. You whatever. You go to Texas Motor Speedway. You get NASCAR. You get IndyCar. Like. Literally, if you're a, a Texan at this time, you are the luckiest motorsports yeah. fan, period. Especially, so, yeah, I would love to see all, all that on. come back. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see that kind of idea come back to Coda. Yeah. Uh, final question here, and this is probably going to take up a lot, a lot of time, at least for Josh. I'm going to get through it quickly because I have made my feelings very clear, and I know what they are, and I have— Decided on how I feel. So this next question here is, NASCAR has not approved Jennifer Joe Cobb to run in her Cup Series debut for Rick Rare Racing. Do you upshift or downshift NASCAR's decision? Now, I, we obviously left this out of Rob's racing report because we wanted to save it for this time. Also, because it was kind of late breaking. Uh, it broke right before we uh, were supposed to go on podcast. So um, my, my personal opinion is I don't understand where NASCAR is coming from here. Uh, Jen Jo has raced plenty of uh, super speedway races before she's ran plenty of nascar xfinity races plenty of truck races at talladega before um it it's not like she's in the way um you know you have a lot of other drivers out there that are going to be racing um next this weekend at talladega that will be in the way regardless it's quinn half is not going to stay with the pack guys he's not going to stay with the pack i'm sorry um and probably and that's I hate to be it. I hate to say that. Probably whoever's in the 52, Rick Warecar is probably that guy. Stay, stay with the pack. Um, let's. I'm sorry. Let's just be straight and blunt here. Those guys are not going to stay with the pack any better than Jen Joe would. The fact of the matter is, you know, those guys will probably not get out of the way when the pack comes up on them. Jen Jo probably will get under. Will be smart because she is a smart driver. Uh, she knows what she's doing. You know, just because she doesn't run up front every week doesn't mean she's a bad driver. There's a lot of drivers that scrape and crawl their way at the back of the field that, at the very least, could be courteous drivers. BJ- There's a lot of drivers out there in NASCAR right now that aren't that way, but Jen Joe is not one of them. She's someone who is a very courteous driver. So it really bothers me that NASCAR has just looked at her and said, "No, you're not approved to run this your Cup debut." Uh, for you know the reasons Bob Pocker stated, which you can read on Twitter on your own, or Josh can read. I don't care, but. Um, they said quality, the, the biggest one that, that bothered me was the quality that they said. And I say, you know, to that, Gen Jo has been around for a lot longer in NASCAR than, again, a lot of the drivers that are at the back of the field in the Cup Series have been. And it really bothers me that you're essentially treating a NASCAR veteran like someone who shouldn't be out on a short track. And I don't understand. I don't, I really don't see how Gen Jo would be any... Any of more of a risk out there than like Quinn Half is. I'm sorry, that's my opinion on that. I downshifted wholeheartedly, and I'm going to turn it over to Josh.
1: Well, I, I I downshift her not being approved. However, I upshift, and she's just the unlucky one to get the to get the crack. Um, I upshift NASCAR seemingly starting to take a stance on, um driver qualifications because she is more qualified to be out there than Quinn health. All right. That's plain. Yeah. Simple,
0: okay. She you is see what qual- Quinn health did. He almost ran into the leaders yeah. in the last in enrichment. I said that like right before Bowman's about to take the checker flag. People are like, Oh crap. Quinn health. What's he doing? He's in the middle of the racing line when he's like 15 miles an hour slower than everybody else. Yeah. It, it, it's it guy has no sense of awareness out there he almost takes out the leader on the last freaking lap it's ridiculous and you're gonna sit here and tell me that Jen Jo someone out there who would actually get out of the way if she was in that same position can't be out it I'm sorry continue Josh I didn't mean to interrupt you but that just really bothered me because I remember what Quinn Elf did on towards the end of that race on, on Richmond
1: yeah so I mean if they can't I mean, here's here's Bob Pockers' tweet. He said Jennifer Jo Cobb not approved to run Cup at Dega, NASCAR decision based on performance quality. NASCAR has been more stringent with recent Cup approvals. She was years ago okay for Cup, but don't but if don't run in series for a year, must be reapproved. Uh, not N O T all capitalized. Not a result of Richmond wreck with with Norm Norm Benning.
0: I don't think uh, I thought it was. I don't think any I mean, I understand I some people might have thought that it was, but I don't think that would have played into the decision. I don't think that would have played any
1: that that but yeah, that's I don't think that played into the decision at all. I think it's just him clarifying like for any for I'm sure I'm not gonna go through all his comments and look at it, but I'm sure he got lit up with that. But my thing is I think she's qualified to be out there. Um, I think they're looking at I feel like they're just looking at the results, like the end result. Okay, she finished here, 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 here. She hasn't
0: performed well. Okay, well, she's She's in in her own underfunded truck. What do you expect?
1: Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. She's in a truck that five, six years ago was comparatively better funded to the top-running trucks, but that the the gap has grown where now her truck, even I worry. I'm like, you got to park this truck on lap five because it's just not fast enough. She's got the talent and she's got the experience in not great equipment, but solid equipment that's not going to be in the way. And she's got enough starts. She's got enough starts that she, sh- she should be approved. I think she's just the, un- she's like Josh Williams a-, a week ago at Martinsville. He's the unlucky one who finally got penalized by NASCAR in a race for spending intentionally. Jennifer Joe Cobb is now the unlucky person who NASCAR finally said, all right, we're going to, we're going to say no to this. Where, Again, even as it stands now, where Quinn half has is now in his second year with Starcom, to me is still just not qualified enough to to have that ride. And Jennifer Jo Cobb, if you put her in that double zero car, is going to do better. She's she's going to do better at this point. In I time. would
0: argue that her that a Rick Ware car, her and a Rick Ware car, should still be faster than she is in her own truck right now.
1: Oh, I agree, one hundred percent. 100% like, look, the reality is if they lose, they're going to be in their own draft pack by themselves. So, and she's going to be one that I felt like, depending upon who the other drivers are, I haven't looked at the entry list, but if you were to put those four Rick Ware cars out there, I put her in front and say, okay, you're going to lead us through. They're going to follow you. If when, when your spotter says, hey, leader's coming up, go high, go low. All right, she's going to go low. and She's going to lead that pack through wherever, wherever they go. That's who I would have as the point person on this. So I, I again, I downshift her being, um, not okay to race because I, I just don't think they're looking at the right numbers here. All right, they're not looking at the whole picture. I feel like they're just they're zoning in on one one little thing, and that's the overall. I she finished thirtieth, fifteen laps down. Okay, yeah, but her truck. Okay, her truck is not good. Did she was she in the way? Was she did she race like B.J. McLeod? Or did she race like Quin Houth?
0: Okay, and again, we—that is a up. very good point. Yeah, okay, when, okay, especially when you're comparing backmarkers, do that. That is a great point because BJ McLeod has always been like the gold standard yes. of how you race as a backmarker. You race your own race, you do as well as you can, but you get out of the way and you race everybody with respect. Yes. That you're not racing, you know, for position or for points or whatever. You know, BJ knows what he's doing out there. He knows you know, that he's not going to win the race. He knows he's, but he's trying to get the best finish he can. So he's not going to interfere with the race. Quinn Alf is going out there behind BJ McLeod usually. And just whatever I'll run in the middle of the racing line. It doesn't matter. The cars are coming up way faster than me and I'm affecting the outcome of the race. Most of the time, who cares? I get to race in NASCAR.
1: Yeah. So I would say this is a, again. This is this is the wrong decision, but I like that they're finally taking a stance. Hopefully, it remains. Hopefully, that the next guy who comes up, who only has one Xfinity start, one truck start, does not get approved for Cup racing. You got to have. she's Hold on. I'm going to pull this up real quick. I just want. I just want to share this really quick. Um, just just to show everyone, in case you forgot, in case you don't believe us
0: racing reference i trust it very much uh um, never not trusted racing reference i don't know if you can even do that i did it, this yeah. she has it,
1: 31 xfinity series starts across 15 years all right um and in the cut in the truck series she has 217 to me right there that's still more than quinn half had yeah. before his first comp start we we've gone over this before where we 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 will over like how we think we a requirement driver point system to elevate your way up through cup to me right there. She has, if she would then never have made an Xfinity series start. She has enough starts in the truck series, uh, running full time even, or attempting to run full time cup series eligible right there. She's cup series eligible. And I know she's got enough starts in other lower divisions that aren't, aren't on racing reference to again, be eligible for it. So, uh, Yeah downshift her being again, I've said it's like 10 times, but I downshift her not being approved. I upshift NASCAR seemingly taking a stance on drivers who aren't qualified.
0: All right. And that's a fair way to go about it. So let's move on here. Josh, you're you're talking a lot. Let's go ahead and just keep talking. Let's get into your rollers featured racetrack and, you know, let's uh, give the good, good listeners here. Something good to go out on before uh they get tired of us talking. All right. Well, um, Today's
1: featured racetrack's history begins with a Philadelphia man named Joe Ryan, who traveled to the Laurentian Mountains in Quebec back in 1938. He went there to find gold, but instead found the area covered in white, i.e. snow. On top of a mountain, he told two of his friends that he would vow to make the area an alpine village. The mountain they stood on was Mont Treblanc. So, if you haven't figured it out in the last few seconds, um, t- today's rollers featured racetrack is Le Cirque Mont Tremblant. Going back to Joe Ryan's dream, uh, it became a reality within about a year. He quickly became it, which quickly became a popular uh, place for winter sports enthusiasts, and today remains that way. However, during the summer months, as one could expect, it would be quite difficult to make a living for a winter sports resort without snow. Quite difficult. So a local hotel operator named Leo Sampson was also a racing enthusiast. Uh, he worked to raise funds over several years, and like Joe Ryan, turned his Montreblanc dream into a reality, which was creating a racing circuit. In fact, uh, the circuit, which officially opened in August 1964, was dedicated to the memory of Joe Ryan's son, Peter. Peter had a successful career in skiing, but it was cut short due to injury. He then turned his hand to auto racing. Uh, he was the first Canadian to participate in a Formula One Grand Prix, uh, which was his only start, Watkins Glen, 1961. He finished ninth. That wasn't in the points at the time. Um, he also won the first ever Canadian Grand Prix in 1961 at Mosport, which at the time was a non-championship event. Uh, tragically, Peter lost his life in a crash at rhymes in night. Oh, excuse me on July 2nd, 1962, at the age of 22. Um, So again, the circuit opened. It was dedicated in his memory, uh, the connection there with the ski resort. Uh, When the course opened in 1964, it was only uh, a mile and a half in length, uh, but was still very challenging by many accounts. Uh, The following year, the full 2.65 mile course was finished. The new backstretch had a section known as the hump, which had potential for cars to fly over the crest in a similar way that uh, the Nürburgring did uh, back in the day on the, the, the very treacherous course it was, um, which it was compared to, again, the whole course, not just that one part, but the whole course was compared to the Nürburgring. In 1966, the circuit was hosted to the inaugural Can-Am race, won by John Surtees and Alola. The event saw the hump uh, claim two cars beyond repair for the first time, uh, which when they were launched to the air, but luckily the drivers did not sustain serious injuries. Uh, two IndyCar doubleheaders were contested at Montreblanc in 1967 and 1968. All four races were won by Mario Andretti, and he led 136 of 148 total laps at the track between those four races, with Al Unser only leading the uh, uh, other other 12. Uh, the circuit hosted a second, the second and fourth, Canadian Grand Prix, which were included on the official World Championship calendar in 1968 and 1970. Denny Hume won the first race in 1968 with McLaren teammate uh, and boss, Bruce McLaren, second. Pedro Pedro Rodriguez in a BRM finished third. In qualifying, Jackie X crashed his Ferrari and broke his leg, ending any hopes of winning uh, the 1968 title. But in 1970, he got a little bit of re- revenge by winning the race over Ferrari teammate Clay Regazzoni, and then Chris Amon, who finished third. Formula One would not return the circuit's remote nature, uh, out kind of in the middle of nowhere type of deal, uh, and uh, its safety record was, you know, in question even for the times. And then they went to most sport, as I covered last year, uh, for a few years, and even then, most sports safety standards weren't enough to keep formula one there. And they eventually went to Montreal. Uh, Can-Am would continue for about another decade racing here, but eventually again, the course was too dangerous for it. Uh, and it, uh, even though it had high praise from drivers, drivers enjoyed going there. It just was lacking in safety. And it was kind of in a time capsule of its own, you know, even, you know, by the nineties, the it still felt like it was back in the seventies and maybe even early eighties there. Um, and by the time 2000 rolled around, it was in desperate need of an upgrade. Um, so inner Lawrence Stroll. Yes, that Lawrence Stroll, Lance Stroll's dad, the owner, uh, primary owner of Aston Martin F1 team there. Uh, he purchased the facility and appointed Alan Wilson to redevelop the circuit to modern FIA standards, but to keep the course's character and, you know, just the spirit of the track, you know, don't, don't lose what we have here, but upgrade it. That kind of can be contradicting and tough to do, but I think we've seen it in a lot of modern facilities still. So runoff areas were extended and the course was widened to about uh, 11 meters along with new crash barriers. The hump was heavily reduced for safety uh, with new chicanes for faster cars being added and along uh, the um, new auxiliary paddock, being uh, added on the circuit's south end, a um, lot smaller. In case they just wanted to use the, I forget what the circuit now, is, the, the the shorter circuit called there, but just the the south part of the track. You had a paddock there, you know, dealing to drive all around. Very common in a lot of a lot of circuits to to have that. Uh, Road Atlanta has one, and I know the Pittsburgh International Racing Complex or Race Complex has one too. I don't, Rob, I don't know if you ever heard about that track, but. I have, yeah.
0: Okay, good. They race
1: yeah. um Formula
0: Regional America series.
1: Okay, well, there you go. Awesome. I did I didn't know that. Um, so this is was obviously very extensive. You know, the the project that they were doing was taking a track that was decades behind the times to modern times, and the track was closed for two years to to get all this done. Um he even had the buildings upgraded, but using their original design, um, again, part of that spirit, part of you know, keeping the history there. The control tower was even given an additional floor on top, but it's done so well it's difficult to know without even looking like, looking at like a photograph. Like, oh my gosh, that that is there another floor on that <laughs> on that tower there? So, so Stroll took care of the facility is, is kind of my point, and I think that's very cool. Um, the Grand Am series went to Montreblan Blanc from 2002 to 2005. In uh, kart race there in its final season before the IndyCar unification. Uh, of course, the, the final season was 2007. The unification came in 2008. Uh, There's no room for the track on the on the new calendar in the 08 season, so it was dropped. Um, so the circuit is predominantly fun fact
0: un- about that champ car race. I apologize for inter- interrupting good? you there, but there was a fun fact that that was that Mont-Tremblant was actually a replacement because when they, lo- they lost Montreal uh, as a champ car race to the NASCAR. Um, and so in order to get another race in Montreal, they went to mont instead.
1: There you go. Thank you, Rob, for adding that. I appreciate that. Um, so now the circuit since, you know, then it's just been local racing, you know, really schools, you know, local driving, not, not much is held there, uh, internationally or nationally in a sense. Um, and it is home to the Jim Russell racing school. Now, the reason I chose this track today is due to the fact it faces a new challenge. So a little over a year ago, a Canadian Supreme Court judge made a ruling that essentially means that any racing of any kind is breaking a noise ordinance. To make a long document, to make a long story short, the track is limited to 55 decibels with a three decibel tolerance. So to put that into perspective, that is equivalent to a normal conversation at home. I don't know of a car that is that quiet. All right. At least a non-electric car, you know, that's that quiet. So that makes it very difficult. So the ruling obviously comes residents were complaining. The, the kind of the story is, is that, Hey, this track isn't, you know, there isn't this much enthusiasm for this track as there once was The, 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 city of Montreblanc's a little more fashionable was one word I saw in an article used. So I'm like, okay. So, um, Lawrence Stroll has put the track up for sale and all bids were due, um, on April 15th. So this past week, um, in the future is certainly uncertain, you know, I uh, and, and Lawrence Stroll, he's got a lot of, I've, I've used this term already in this podcast, but he's got a lot of irons in the fire and this is one he's just not wanting to, to keep hot at the moment. So you gotta, you gotta make business decisions and, you know, they were able to run a race there last year towards the end of the season. And it's it's it it just looks difficult for this track to continue on without some sort of other ruling, um, especially when you're limited to fifty-five decibels, uh, fifty-eight decibels again with a tolerance. Um so I kind of just want to make a quick note. You know, it's the same story what I ranted about earlier with the Miami Grand Prix. It's the same story um uh, we've seen in Nashville. I think it's important that you know, if Stroll doesn't end up selling or whoever the new operators work out a deal with the city that says, Hey, we're not going to run racing here every day. All right. We're going to limit it to certain weekends of the year. And that's what we're going to do. You know, that's how we're going to operate it. Now it allows us to stay in business. It allows people to still come here and make money. I don't know how much money the city makes off of the the tourism with the winter sports stuff. I, I, I can't tell you that, but there's somewhere, someone down the way is making money of this track being in operation. Someone's getting a job. Uh, someone, uh, you know, local restaurants making money off it. You know, it, I, I could go on the list there. But I think it's important for us to save tracks, but it's also important for people to work together. And I think that's a lesson we can take in a lot of things in life. Um, so I hope this track stays around. It's got a, it's got a storied history, uh, especially in its beginning. And it would be very, very uh Saddening to see it go away. So, racing reference, racing circuits, and the drive um, assisted in today's rollers featured racetracks. Been a while since I've done one of these, so it was fun to start with this one.
0: Yeah, thanks for talking about that, Josh. It was uh I, it was obviously timely when I saw that. I thought, oh man, I heard about that in the news. Isn't Montreal getting sold? And as much as I hate to hear that, you know the the future is uncertain for Montreal. It has been a great racing circuit. Like I said, the champ car race there in 2007 was really, really interesting. I think uh, who won that? Was it was it a Bobby D win or? I think a uh, Dutch driver. Bobby D. Bobby D. Yep, it was Robert okay. Dornboss. That was it. Robert Dornbos. Okay, so I was right. I, was, I people call him Bobby D. Uh, of course, now we know. You know, he has a after since retiring from racing. We all know what Bobby D does now, Josh. You remember, right? No, no, oh, he owns a successful sex toy company now. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, yeah, so things that's like how we wanted to end the series. On this with the podcast, podcast was that. Oh yeah, man, I didn't expect that. You guys didn't know that. You guys not know this is this is obvious, it's right there, it's anywhere on the internet. Bob, just I it think think up. You know A lot more, and
1: think that there's a lot more common knowledge out there. You're just, you just know these things. I don't know where you learn them, but there you <laughs> go. Dang. <laughs>
0: I'm just, I'm, serious. I'm saying I'm saying did not expect that to come out of your mouth I I did not expect that at all you didn't you did not once expect that that's what robert dornbus does in his post racing life well here we go recording on uh, on april 19th <laughs> april 20th
1: 2021 rob mentioned um adult toys on this
0: podcast, that is made by Robert Dornbos. Yeah. Okay. There you go. What's in the windshield? We got some stuff to talk about up there. That's uh that's that's not founded at Cirillas. Um, Formula One returns in two weeks at Portimao in Portugal for the Portuguese Grand Prix on May second, followed by the Spanish Grand Prix at Catalonia on May 9th. Formula E races this upcoming weekend. Oh boy, we got the first uh, first Formula E race on a permanent circuit. I'm excited for this. At uh, the circuit, Ricardo Tormo for the Valencia, excuse me, I should probably uh, not burp when I'm doing these promos, uh, for the Valencia E-Prix on April 24th and 25th. The NTT IndyCar Series returns for more action this weekend for the annual Streets of St. Petersburg race on April 25th. That'll be on NBC. Uh, Formula E will see if uh, CBS Sports decides to broadcast it, as we all know it. What happened in Rome? Uh, we'll when find right. out. I haven't checked the the TV listings yet for this weekend, but that's I'll have to now. And that's <laughs> fluid, <laughs> probably. Yeah. It is fluid. NASCAR has a triple header at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. The Arkham Menard Series uh, races first, and the NASCAR Xfinity Series will race after them on Saturday, April 24th. And then the Cup Series will race on April 25th. It's Talladega week, guys. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I'm excited. You. You're excited. We're all excited. It's St. Petersburg weekend. Uh, it's, it's formula Easing on an, a permanent circuit weekend. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big weekend and, uh, I'm excited for what we have in store for us. There's probably other races that I'm forgetting of. And that'll talk about later Like like supercars. I always leave supercars out of the what's in the windshield, but, Every time the next week I talk about it. So, anyway, uh, that is gonna do it for us today on Robin Roller Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for hanging in there and listening to us on this long podcast. We really appreciate all of your support. Uh, so again, thank you uh, all, all to all of you for listening. And uh, we will be back again next week with another uh, edition of the Racing with Robin Roller Podcast. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I am at RPeters33. Josh is at Roller underscore 01. And our show is spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. That's Rob and Roller. So that is going to do it for us. Have a great Talladega weekend, everybody. Enjoy the races. And uh, we will see you next time. For Josh Roller, I'm Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast.